0: When Raul and I got off the airplane and uh, came here, the first thing we walked in the door is that they took us over to their um, cafe to get something to drink. And everybody was so gracious to us and kind to us. And the guy behind the counter said, you want something to eat? And I said, well, do you mind? He fixed me a sandwich. And uh, we walked around for a while. When we came back for the service last night, we go again. And they have sopitas and chips and salsa and food for us, and everybody's so kind and nice to us, and they just fed us as strangers so well. That's a great food ministry going on here. But I would like to suggest that for your volunteer guys that are standing here, you need to feed them a little more. They look awful thin. These two guys, I don't know who they are. The volunteers need to be fed a little bit more. Those are unique uniforms. The centurion uh, gave his life to Caesar, and could never leave his position, never got a raise. He bowed his knee to Caesar and he said, I will die for you. And uh, he had a tremendous commitment, highly respected. When he was aged, he would be given a piece of land by the government and he'd never have to work. They would give him a piece of land for his retirement. But ultimately he would give his life. A centurion one day came to Jesus and said, I have a Servant that's home and sick. And Jesus said, then I shall come to your house and heal him. The Jew speaking to the Italian. It says that the centurion pleaded with Jesus, an Italian pleading with a Jew. <laughs> he wouldn't see that anywhere. He said that my, son, my servant is uh, terribly vexed. He's, he's got something huge going on with him. And he said, no, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, a Jew shouldn't go into a Gentile's house, but Jesus was willing to do it because he's righteous, and his righteousness is full of grace. And uh, in Ephesians 6, it says in the next verse that Raoul and Ray stole from me that um, (laughs) you're to put on this shield of righteousness, and it's God's righteousness that will protect you and me. But uh, Jesus spoke the word because the man said, Just speak the word, and, and that's all. For I'm a man of like authority. Like some of you are CEOs, or supervisors, or superintendents, your job leaders, your foremen. And you have men that'll come when you say, Come here, and you have men that'll go and do this when you say, Go do that and and, uh, Jesus spoke the word, and when he went home, that centurion was met by one of his men and said, your servant that was sick is healed. He said, when did that happen? And he told him, and it was the same time that Jesus spoke the word. Jesus is speaking the word to you and me as men, like he did to that centurion. And there's things happening at our houses right now with our family. While you are being obedient to the word of the Lord, the Lord is gonna honor that. He's gonna bless your sons and your daughters and your wives. He's going to bless your businesses and your prosperity. He's going to honor you because you are men of the word. You honor his word, he will honor you. That's his righteousness. And he has the right to honor you because you are honoring him. Well, Jesus turned around and he said, I've never seen so much faith. No, not even in all of Israel. This man had. And then there's a centurion that was at the foot of the cross. And when... Jesus died on the cross and this man was there with his team that a prisoner could not escape they nailed him to the cross to make sure that he wouldn't escape and we thank God for that though it was a horrible horrible excruciating murder nothing like it ever in the history of man that could be so excruciating because it went on for hours and hours and uh, they finally broke the legs of the men on the cross because it would send an adrenaline rush to the heart and overload it and the heart would explode and they would die of a cardiac arrest. And Jesus was already dead, fulfilling Psalm 22 that said no bone will be broken in his body. He's saying things that that centurion must have been wondering about. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And as men, most of the time, we don't know what we're doing. He forgives us. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. All of his disciples and friends, including Mary, stood afar off from the cross, the gospel of Mark says. We've all had people pull away from us and be lonely. People we trusted, just like Jesus, have hurt us. We've leaned on people, and when we needed them in our darkest hour, they're standing afar off. Every experience Jesus went through, I think St. Paul went through, and then tries to lead you and me as men through it. I'm crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I think the hour will come for all of you, and myself included, that we see ourselves stretched out on that cross. And we die to ourselves. And that's a hard thing to die to ourselves. We've lived with ourselves all of our lives right up to this very instant. And to let go of who we think we are, humongous. Last year, I was sitting across the desk from Chuck Smith and pouring my heart out to him. And I was crying like a baby. And uh, I said, the pain is just too much. The the defeat, the agony of the last two years is just too overwhelming. Pastor Chuck said, have you considered my faithful servant Mike? And I said, no, come on, don't go there. I've I've been reading Job. No, I'm not a faithful servant. No, just listen. And he quotes all that part of Job of how that Satan attacked uh, this wonderful man that loved God. He was a righteous man, the Bible says. He had ten kids. They were all killed in one day. God allowed Satan to take those children. And yet he never cursed God. And the whole issue of righteousness was Satan said, I can make this man be unrighteous, and the only reason he praises you is because you've put a hedge around him, you've made him wealthy, you've blessed his health, you've given him good things, but you start taking these things away from this man, and you will see he'll curse you. And God said, okay, I'll let you do this, but you can't take his life. Each one of us men today should thank God that Satan can't take our life. You are not going to die ahead of schedule. You're in God's hands. God has something for you and me to do and accomplish, that's why we're still alive this hour. And if we waste the time that we have, we're unrighteous, wasting it on unrighteous things in an unrighteous era. No, God wants us to exemplify His righteousness because we have no righteousness. It's His righteousness. And you'll remember that uh, one of the guys came to Job that worked for him, says, all of your real estate's gone. All your donkeys, your camels, uh, your asses, your cattle, everything is gone. He was bankrupt in one day, lost ten children in one day. His health, Satan says, touch his health and he'll curse you. And Satan lost the battle because this man had the righteousness of God and he never cursed God. And he got boils on the top of his head to the sole of his feet. His body was covered in boils. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a boil, but they can be very painful. One boil is extremely painful. Two or three would be overwhelming. But to have your body covered with boils, this means that he couldn't sit down. He'd sit on boils. He couldn't lay on his side on the right or his side on the left or lay on his back. He couldn't stretch out. He couldn't fall on his face. He couldn't even stand on his head. He had boils everywhere. He was in agony, but he still praised the Lord. And then his wife came to him. And she said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Now, every man needs a wife like that, (laughs) don't we? I mean, we just need that encouragement. And thank God that the person closest to him, as negative as she was, he didn't listen to. His heart was in God's hands. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And Chuck Smith sat there and he looked at me and said, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And I was hurting, and I was thinking, he had his preaching, teaching, radio voice in his office with all those long pauses. And I was thinking, come on, Chuck, come on, move it along. (laughs) And he paused on that, though he slay me. And he said, the reality, Mike, the reality is that he had slayed him, his flesh. I'd always looked at it, That though he slay me and I die, that he says, I'm done with you, and hits me with a heart attack or whatever, I'll still praise him. But what he was saying was, though he slays me, my flesh, my old nature, I'm still going to go on without the wealth and without the health and still praise him. God's righteousness. There's nothing you and I can do to be righteous people. But he can give us his righteousness and we can live like righteous people with His righteousness within him, within us. In uh, Genesis 15, 1, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came into Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. He's the Father of all righteousness. If you'll turn with me to um, 1, uh, uh, excuse me, Second Samuel in the Old Testament and go to the 17th verse, there's a great example for Righteousness here for us to take a look at and how that God would work with us even though the world is against us. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Chapter 17, I'm sorry. And it says this. Uh, Verse uh, 20. 2nd Samuel chapter 17 verse 20. And when Absalom's whoops that's the wrong chapter. No, that's the right chapter. Second chapter. 2nd Samuel. I think we got the, Yes, that's it. Let me try 1st Samuel. I think I got this wrong. I did It's 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse 20. So David rose early in the morning. He left the sheep with a keeper, and he took the things his father had asked him to do to go down to the battle as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the... uh, battle for Israel, and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the uh, supply keeper. He ran to the army, and he came and greeted his brothers. And then as he talked with them, there was this champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same word. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, the men When they saw the man fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. I would like to give a challenge to all of us today as men. Forget anything going outside of this room right now. We're in the presence of the Lord. The Lord has changed our schedules and brought us to this piece of property in the confines of this room to hear him speak. If we're here for any other reason, may he change that reason, that thought in any of our hearts because it's a waste of all of our time to show up if God can't speak. I personally believe that our country is in dire need of men, not men that think that they're women, but men that know they are men, to stand up for righteousness, to defend the children of this country that are headed into a godless era ahead of us. And without men being men, this country is completely lost. It is almost ruptured to the point of no return. You are men. Men. The Lord sent His only begotten Son, to die for us and he gave us a country to live in from our birth that has been known as the greatest in all of history he launched this country from the foundation of men's hearts that believed in this Bible the leaders you can go back from George Washington forward from the very beginning And read their personal quotes that the day we as a people move from believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are dead as a nation. The day that we move away from the holy scriptures in the Bible, we are a dead nation. These great thinkers, from the philosophers to the farmers, that formed our country agreed 100% that God's Word would be the foundation of all law and education and lifestyle in this new country. And the devil from day one has tried to pull that foundation out. Yesterday, our President of the United States, who claimed that we are not a Christian country, slapped God in the face. But yesterday, He allowed Muslims to come to the state capitol, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial, and to pray out to Allah. And in all the advertising around America for Muslims to come, it says, our time has come. They have an agenda. Our time has come. We are going to take this country, your country, your son's countries, your grandchildren's country. They have a plan. They have a plan. And the men of America have become wimps, and wusses, and jelly bellies, and weak back, and they have put the word down, they have put prayer down, they have spit on the righteousness of God, and quit thanking Him. Every day they wake up for this great land, Millions of acres of producing farmland is shut down in the last 36 months. Farmers have gone broke, all from the book of Deuteronomy, signs of judgment on a nation. The droughts have dried up the west, signs of judgment. In the San Joaquin Valley, 30,000 farmers and laborers are out of work The state and federal government has shut the water off to the farmlands in California under the guise of environmental protection for a little silver fish that's two inches long. While the crops have been destroyed where most of California serves the rest of the nation with the vegetables drawn from the San Joaquin Valley. One billion dollars of lost revenue from the farmers in that one valley in America. A sign of judgment. And the end of Judges runs right into the book of Ruth. And the first book of Ruth ties to the last verse of Judges. The first page, the first verse. In the days that there was no king in Israel... The judges did rule, and every man did that which is right in his own eyes. First of all, whenever judges are ruling, it shows there's no leadership, and God is judging the nation. And we have seen in the last 60 months, judges make decisions, and presidents make decisions that are illegal and wrong, and unconstitutional. And the men have not stood up to say, what are you doing with our country? We deserve what we have gotten. But if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and confess their sins, I will hear their prayers and I will heal their land. There is hope if men will stand up for righteousness. I'm not talking about getting some nonprofit organization started and we all just rally. No, I'm talking about you and me taking responsibility as the priests of our homes and the leaders of our businesses and being the light that so shines that men will see our good works and they'll give glory to God. I'm not talking about voting in a Christian president. I'm talking about righteousness in my own heart. Spilling over to your own heart with your own desire. I'm not calling for a political change. I'm talking for a heart change of men. We're the leaders. We're the head of the wife. We're the head of the household. We're the role models. But Satan knows if he can drug us out and booze us out and drink us out and porno us out and sports us out and just get us so distracted that the Bible is completely out, he's won the battle and he's almost won the battle. Why would an ethnic group and a religion that is notorious for centuries say our time has come for America? Unless there is a plan bigger than anything you and I can see. So when David runs to the battle, he's excited because ultimately he wants to see God's hand work in his country. The Philistines have a giant that's nine feet tall, that's screaming and yelling and making noise. And David's daddy says, go down and see how your brothers are doing. And David arose and he did exactly that. So when in verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw this, they fled, they were de- dead, uh, dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel shall be that that man who kills him, the king will... Uh, enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised bear that stands here growling? Oh, no, it doesn't say that. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? <laughs> this Philistine. That he should defy the armies of the living God. Who is he? And where are the men standing up saying, Who are these Philistines that have come into America and taken away all of our retirement plans? Firing corporate executives. Giving trillions of dollars to businesses that failed. And yet we starve. Who are these Philistines that have come in with a whole complete different mindset than what you and I were taught and raised up to believe in? Who are they? Where did they come from? This is a little boy saying this. He had the righteousness of God in his heart. And this is why God loved him, that he had a heart after him. Who is this guy? And how dare him that he would defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in the same manner. How dare dare the director of Homeland Security or our president say that returning vets from Iraq are potential terrorist threats and the right-wing conservatives that believe in uh, guns and church and Bible and that are against abortion and homosexual marriages are the enemy of the state now. How dare them say that a veteran who put his life on the line for my little 18 grandchildren and one great-grandson that they could have a free country and think and speak as they want. How dare them say that a man, a veteran that would go to war for me would be a public enemy. That's what David's saying. It's present today. How dare them? Where are the men standing up and saying, how dare you? How dare you treat us like this? These are our heroes. You see these men with no legs and no arms, and laying in hospital beds where we're told at Walter Reed Hospital, rats are running around the veterans' hospital, out in the open. How dare them treat our heroes in such a manner? You see, when every man does what is right in his own eyes, there is a modern-day word for that, and it is the mantra from the East Coast to the West Coast, through education, through MTV, through every... outlet you can think of to bombard the mind. This one single word is called relativism. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. It's a doctrine. You want to be a homosexual? Okay, you can be a homosexual, but I want to be a pedophile. You want to be a pedophile? Okay, you be a pedophile. I won't bother you. It won't be a crime anymore. We'll just let all the laws go. If you don't hurt me, I won't hurt you but well, if you'd be sensitive to the diversity of our lifestyle and you'll have tolerance, but anybody against us, we'll call it a hate crime. Hold it. Isn't any crime a hate crime? You're to love your neighbor as yourself, so if I commit a crime against you, it's a hate crime. It takes hate to cause a crime. But one little interest group says, anything against our sensitive spirits and attitudes is a hate crime and now the penalty is going to be even more because it's hate speech. It's already been tested in Canada. It's already been tested in Sweden. The pastors can't read from the book of Leviticus or the book of Romans. And they can't talk about the homosexual lifestyle or they go to jail. And pastors have already gone. And that is in Washington, D.C. right now against the Christian churches because we're filled with hate. This is what David was battling. He saw it more than just a nine-foot giant. He saw all the nuance of it. How did America get to the place? How did Israel get to the place that the armies are hiding? And one man can scare a nation and a king. And where's the king? He's in his tent. He doesn't want to get out and lead and say, let's go do what's right. And let's stand up for the name of God. Because he had gotten his eyes off of God. And he had his eyes completely on himself. And the people answered him in the manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Eliab's anger was aroused against David, because David had stirred them up to righteousness. Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those? And notice how he puts his little brother down. Left those few sheep. Few sheep. Oh, and how big brother talks down to you. If you make more than $250,000 a year you're rich and you don't deserve it. The government deserves it to distribute the wealth. Karl Marx said the same thing, Vladimir Lenin said the same thing, Brezhnev said the same thing. (laughs) And where are the men? Where are the men, let alone the Christian men? We live in dire times just like Israel. But God is looking for a man like with Isaiah. Who shall we send for us? And Isaiah, you remember, went six chapters of his ministry and still had not had a vision of God that changed his heart. That's what you and I need. We need the heavens to open and we see God on the throne. And we have a vision of God. And we give him honor and glory, our righteous judge and king, and that he fills us with his righteousness that our light so shine that men see our good works, they give glory to that God on the throne. That's right. This little boy's stirring things up. Few sheep. Another reason that David was a man after God's heart, that if God's given you a few sheep or many sheep, if you love them and serve them and take care of them because they belong to your Father, God is going to honor you as a man. If you have a job that pays $10 an hour and you do it as unto the Lord, you're going to get honored by God. If you have a job that pays $6 an hour and you do it as unto the Lord, you're going to get honored. If you have a job that pays you 100000 a year, no matter how big it is or small it is, no matter how large your family is or small your family is, no matter how much you can tithe or can't tithe, you do it all heartily unto the Lord, you're a righteous man that stands before the righteous God and He rewards you accordingly. It's very important that we see We are no longer a righteous people because the church quit being filled with righteous men. And the minute we take our responsibility as a righteous man, it's going to be much more powerful than the swine flu, and there is no vaccination against it when righteousness flows through a city and through a county and through a valley and to the White House. Our country is a picture of Washington, D.C., this beautiful White House, and around it frozen hearts and arteries, murders and rapes and the highest crime in the country right around it. And now you stand outside the walls of the White House, the fences, the wrought iron, and put your hands on there, and you look, I went with a man that is a specialist in grass and lawns and fertilizer. And he said, look at the lawn at the White House. And I said, what's the matter with Why, they've got, and he started naming the diseases. And he said, look at all these weeds. And it's turning, they're not watering here enough. And I said, how brilliant. Of all the lawns, it should be more beautiful than a golf course. Should be your White House. It's your White House. It's, this guy works for you. These people over there work for you. But they've now got us working for them because there's no leader Judges are ruling. Relativism. So we all say, let big brother do what he wants to do. I'm going fishing. I'm going water skiing. I'm going hunting. I'm going to entertain myself and let that just go on the way it is. But God's righteousness is not going to honor that. Because I've got 18 little grandkids and I need every man in this room to protect my grandchildren. Would you please? Would you help me with my six sons and daughters? Would you please, brothers? Would you stand up for righteousness and protect my family? I'll do my best to help your family and be a righteous man. I will. I have no money to give. I have no assets to give. But I'll give you my heart, my life, and my time. I don't have many talents or gifts, but I'll do all I can to be an honest man. And as Ray was saying, a truthful man. A man that you know will say yes and mean yes, and I'll say no, and I mean no, and I won't waver in my faith. And I hear that uncircumcised Philistine all day long screaming at you. I'll be willing you'll give me just a little bit of encouragement. I'll be willing to go against that giant doesn't mean that I'd be braver than you. I would just know that I had 500 men that loved me and believed in me that I love and I believe in. And together, we're willing to do something if it's just to take on one giant. At least we've done something instead of sitting back and saying, whoa, this is too heavy for us. No, it's united we stand. Divided we fall. The word diversity comes from the word divided. And it's been planted into the schools and into the hearts of diversity and tolerance. But who are they intolerant against? The men that say they believe in this book. They have no tolerance for that. So you put the book down so you can live your life a little more comfortably. No, look at these warriors here a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation their loins gird with truth, their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the sword, the spirit of prayer, ready to go at any time to help one another to defend truth. It's very serious where we live right now. And sometimes we get it wrong, like the teenager who was getting in trouble in high school. His parents decided he got it They got to get him out of that public high school. And so they found a great Catholic school for the year. And at the end of his first term at the Catholic school, this rebel teenager, like most of us were, his grades changed. The marks went up to A's and everything. And the parents were overjoyed that his education had changed. And they said, son, what is happening here? Are these nuns just really better teachers? Your grades have improved so much. He said, not really. Not really better teachers. You see, everywhere I looked, I saw a man nailed to the cross, and I knew these women meant business. (laughs) Well, I think it's time that the men that know the man that was nailed to the cross mean business. That we're righteous men. We're righteous men. And we don't want unrighteousness telling us, our time has come. We're going to march in the streets. You should see, you shouldn't see the filth in our streets when they march every year. Filth. Sickness. It's wrong. The weight of gold that came to Solomon, 1 Kings ten fourteen says, in one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that... He had of the merchant men and of the traffic of the spice merchants and all the kings of Arabia and all the governors of the country, the King Solomon made 200 shields of beaten gold, 600 shekels of gold went to one target or to one shield. He made 300 shields of beaten gold that had three pounds of gold in that shield. Imagine three pounds of solid gold at $1,000 an ounce, just in one shield. And he took those 300 shields and he put them in the house of his uh, forest house in the mountains of Lebanon. What was he saying there? When Solomon became the king, he was the wealthiest man to live, the wisest man to ever live. And when he went out north, south, east, west, Africa, Egypt, he went to Asia, to Europe, he went to Lebanon, he went down to the south, he was letting everybody know, he extended his kingdom, that if you're coming after me, you're coming after wealth and power. And you're coming after men that can wear 300-pound shields with three pounds of gold in each one. (laughs) And how much more you? Your shield of righteousness weighs nothing, but it has eternal values that cannot put a dollar amount on. And if the enemy comes against this shield of righteousness, it's losing. But if it comes against our flesh, we lose, Democrat or Republican, Libertarian or Independent. But we stand for righteousness, not party. For our citizenship is in heaven. We are pilgrims and sojourners. And the God of all creation is calling His sons to evacuate planet Earth. We don't know the day nor the hour, but I am here to tell you, the great evacuation is about ready. And we must get our wives and our brothers and our cousins and our aunts and our grandpas and our grandmas and our sons and our daughters prepared for the great evacuation. For the Lord Himself is going to descend from heaven with the shout of the archangel. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, and those of us that are alive and remain on the earth shall be caught up in the air always to be together with them. Another place Paul says that Jesus will have a shout, the sound of the trumpet, and a loud voice. Three different vibrations and sound waves and three messages. Some people will be so impacted by this 3 prong whatever it is when he descends that it is going to loose them from these bodies and they are going to take off without a pilot's license and go to heaven and get their new body. Others will not hear it. Those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. The Lord is calling us men. The bride has prepared herself and made herself ready. So that means we must be about our Father's business, for the days are evil and they are short. But we of men of righteousness representing the kingdom must put on that protection from our enemy. There are different types of righteousness, of course. There's self-righteousness. And we can be self-righteous people. And if ever we needed to be God-righteous men, it is today, we need protection from deception. We need deception from conception. We need to have conception to inspection. We need to know that from conception, God has in Psalm 139, every little member of each one of us written down in a book. Our fingernails, our DNA, our genetic code, our length of our eyelashes. If we lose one hair, God counts that hair. He knows everything about you. It's written in a book. How precious are the thoughts towards you daily. Not once in a while, but daily. His thoughts towards you are so precious. They are more numerable than the grains of sand on the earth. You cannot count the good things that God is thinking about you this very moment. God's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not uptight at you. He's not demanding anything of you. There's nothing you can give God to improve Him except your friendship and your fellowship. For some reason, He wants to hang out with us. And He created us to be righteous men with His righteousness because we're the Son and He's the Father. And as men, we stand against relativism and men can no longer do what is right in their own eyes. We must do what is right in God's eyes. That's what we stand for. Speaking of Abraham in Genesis 15, 16, it says in Abraham, he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness, for righteousness. But many people get stuck in church. They get stuck in religion and they think they're righteous. A man was hit by a car, by a bus on a busy street in New York City. Now I was at ground zero. I'm part of a special air disaster team associated with the American Red Cross that is uh, eight of us at a time that go and the Congress passed a resolution that if any American is injured or killed on a flag-carrying aircraft, the families and loved ones of that person has the right to spiritual care. The rule of thumb is for every person that dies on an aircraft incident, 10 people come to the crash site to find closure. When Egyptian air went down, 250 people died. 2,500 showed up to the Boston area, wanting answers. The majority of people, though there were Catholics and Protestants and Jews on that plane, headed to the East, uh, the majority were Muslims, and they knew no protocol for Muslim death. At that point, they instigated, instigated that um, resolution by Congress, and they handpicked 26 of us from around the country and took us back east, and the FBI, and the NTSB, and FAA, and American Red Cross, some other organizations trained us of what was expected. I spiritually chose September as my month on call, because there'd be no rain, sleet, tornadoes, hurricanes, or coldness anywhere in the country. It'd be good weather, and I didn't want to go in the rain or the ice somewhere. Around 6 o'clock in the morning on September 11, my beeper went off. And I called Washington, D.C. They said, you're activated. Get on a military flight or any way you can to New York City. And I said, what's happening? They said, turn on your news. And I turned it on as the second plane went into the tower. Our team was responsible for the spiritual care. We were responsible for the morgue, the Family Assistance Center, and Ground Zero. We focused on the Family Assistance Center. From Tuesday, the people started pouring in. 2,500 New York cops sitting at tables taking Missing person reports, taking a toothbrush. You'd watch a mother hand a toothbrush over. You would see a daughter give a brush or a comb, and they would pull back because they knew that once they let that go, they knew that their loved one would be dead. They were looking for DNA. 5,000 crying, grieving people came to the armory for family assistance on the Saturday after 9-11. I don't know if you've ever seen or heard what it is like to see 5,000 fellow Americans crying at the same time. I don't know if you know the anguish that was there among the firefighters and the police officers and the CSI people and the collapsing of cops and firefighters, the agony and the pain to see their best friend with his body cut right in half, to pull his legs out and the head somewhere else and the arms somewhere else. I don't know if you really understood what happened on 9-11. We were attacked. We're at war. But you wouldn't know we're at war, would you? Because we're bankrupt. And we're just trying to survive. If they can dumb you down and keep you occupied, you'll never see the reason that you need to stand up and be a righteous man. God is calling you to stand up and be a righteous man. David went to King Saul and Saul said, here's my armor. And he put on the big breastplate, the helmet. He got his sword and he started walking. The little guy said, I can't walk with your stuff. I've never tested or proved it. A bear came one time and he stole one of my father's sheep. And I grabbed him by the hair of his chin, a lion, and beat him with a club. And I beat the bear and I got the little sheep back. No, no, no. I'm going to go with what I know about God. And he got his slingshot. And he reached down into that valley and picked up five smooth stones. And Billy Graham said that uh, Goliath had four other brothers. And he was going to go after them next. That's why he got those extra stones. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been to the Valley of Elah, where he ran, but it's full of rocks. Anybody, even an athlete running, would twist their ankle. And as he was running, there's no way that that little boy could have the strength in his quadriceps and his thighs to be able to get his calves and ankles going to be so perfectly online and to have that big giant up there and to hear his propaganda. And he said, I'm going to take you and feed your flesh to the dogs. And David said, well, I'm going to get you and all the army of the Philistines for God's glory. And that little guy took that stone, and as he's on the run, he throws it, and it has to go up in the air in a perfect arc to land nine feet into the forehead of that giant. And think of this. How could that little boy do such an accurate shot? I think his bicep, his triceps, his forearms were not strong enough, let alone the sh- shoulder and back muscles, to release a projectile so powerful that it would penetrate the front lobe of the brain of a nine foot man and kill him. I think what happened is that that rock was going all over the air and God through the Holy Spirit just flying along there just pushing that rock over a little, oh, up, 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 up. Okay. And then when it got there, the hand of God went and knocked that giant down. I think that when David went over with his huge sword and he took the giant's 10-foot sword and chopped the head off and held the head up, all the armies of Israel fled. That was a courageous boy. Would you help me with my courageous little grandsons? I'll help you with yours. Will you show them a role model of a righteous man? I'll try to do it with mine. If we can just make an agreement that our righteousness is as filthy rags, but His righteousness in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, can let every little boy in this valley know they don't have to smoke pot. They don't have to try out homosexuality. They don't have to start drinking beer. They don't have to start date raping the girls. They don't have to start swearing and cursing. They don't have to play these violent games. They don't need to be dumbed down. You can help them. You can be the role model. And if nowhere else in America... This valley will be known as the Valley of Righteous Men. May God honor you and bless you for His righteousness' sake. Amen.